Greetings, my good people. How are you? What's happening? What's going on? Feeling a little hungover the day after the NFL season slash Super Bowl that took place in Atlanta, which is a game that everyone will certainly soon forget. Well, I'll delve into every little aspect of that and then some on this edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in to listen to what it is I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. I welcome you guys aboard, and of course, thank you for downloading and listening to this podcast. And for those who have been with me on this journey from episode 1, 21, 31, and now 51, as we're about to put this one in the books, I welcome you guys back. Monday, February 4th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. Things to discuss here. Has Bryce Harper tipped his hand on maybe signing in the coming days? Put out a little cryptic tweet yesterday. I'll get into that. Also, Manny Machado, what's going to happen with him as we're just literally two weeks away from pitches and catches in spring training? The NBA, what's going on with these players? Even a guy like Chris Stapps Porzingis will get into the trade, but even more so, how the players are just dictating their fates, trying to get together with other teams as we've known from time and time again. We've seen it, but now it's just running rampant in the league. Is it good for the NBA? Is it not? With the trade deadline just days away, I'll certainly break down all that has to do with uh, what's going on in the association. And we will kick off with the Super Bowl, but I'll also touch on the newly minted Hall of Fame finalists for the NFL. We'll talk about the commercials. We'll talk about everything that's happening and revolving around the Super Bowl. But we're going to start off with what else? The game itself. And before I even get into that, I'm going to start off by saying this. This is a memo to the sports gods, in particular the football gods. Could this please be the end of the Patriot dynasty? Can it be? We're sick and tired of the Patriots. We're sick and tired of Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. Listen, all props to them. I'm not trying to throw ice cold water on their parade by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, let me just start off by saying that. But I've had enough. This is the end. And as I said to someone a couple days ago, when people want to bury this Pat dynasty, all I have to say to them is that let's see what happens next year in the postseason. They do not need to make a championship game because for every year they make a championship game as if it's their birthright. And rightfully so because they play in a poor division and not only that, but they play in an AFC which has pretty much predominantly been weak. Let's just call it as we see it. And if D. Ford wasn't offsides in the game two weeks ago, they wouldn't represent in this game. But the bottom line is, is that they're always in the AFC title game. So not only next year do they not need to make the AFC title game because they're allowed not to make it if somebody could go out there and beat them. But let me see this two years in a row. And until I get to that point, then I could pretty much put this dynasty to bed and put it to rest because it's never going away. But please, sports gods, memo gods, can you please put the ribbon on top of this sixth championship for the New England Patriots? That's first and foremost. We get it. Brady, Belichick, all-time greats. You want to call Brady the GOAT? You want to say now that Bill Belichick is over Vince Lombardi? Fine. Not a problem. You know, Boston beats LA again. We get that. It'd be nice if we see that again in June with the Lakers and Celtics, if the Celtics win. I'll certainly wrap my arms around that. But the thing is, if I would have told you last night around 10 o'clock that the Patriots would only score 13 points, that Tom Brady would not throw a touchdown pass, and he would not be the MVP, of course, that he actually threw an interception deep in Ram territory, and that James White, who's been a factor in all these Super Bowls, in particular Super Bowl 51, would not even pretty much being on the stat sheet, let alone be in this game, as far as the fact is concerned, if I would have put that all on a plate for you to digest, what would you think? You'd be like, wait a minute. Did the Rams blow him out? Did the Rams just run away with this game, you know, 30 to 13, whatever it is? I, I, what happened with the Patriots? Well, what happened is, is that you had a quarterback that I'm sure as of right this second is still shaking in his boots from the whole Super Bowl experience. And his coach is not that far behind, which we'll get into. But I tell you, this game was one that the NFL, I'm sure, will certainly, and I don't say it publicly, but privately, they have to swallow and digest and just move it to the side and get ready for the combine. Because as we've seen throughout all of these regular season games this year, you look at the Monday night game, 54-51 with the Chiefs and Rams, You look at all the fantasy football, the high scoring. Just look at last year's Super Bowl. Over 1,100 yards. Brady throws for 500 yards in a game and end up losing. And talk about a tale of two years. If I told you last year, right, Brady threw for 500 yards. They scored 33 points. They run up the score big time. They came from behind in the game. And if I told you that they would have lost, it would have told me I'm nuts. Where this year, they did nothing in the game. 
Although the defense showed up, we'll get to that in a minute, but it's just crazy how football and how sports is sometimes. You know, you could have that offensive outburst that they had in the Super Bowl last year against Philadelphia, and they come up on the losing end, and then this year, just as I painted that picture for you with Brady not throwing a touchdown and only scoring 13 points, and you would think that, oh my God, the Rams blew him out of the building. But that is not the case, because as we sit here today, the Patriots in this 19-year run that have made the Super Bowl nine times just completed their sixth Super Bowl win, which matches the Pittsburgh Steelers all-time. 13-3, not really a convincing game, not really an entertaining game. If you like defense, and I do, and it was a little bit refreshing to see, but when you just look at how the game was played, when you look at what happened on the Rams side, and we'll talk about the Patriots and Rams, we'll break it both down, because to me, this game is more of an indictment on the Rams. And this is not to knock anything what the Patriots did. Obviously, they made the plays. We could talk about it until the cows come home. They're big plays in the game. When you look at the Gronkowski catch, that set him up right there first and goal. That was the play of the game. Where you look at Stephen Gilmore, who made a couple big plays. Not only the interception, which pretty much iced the game, but if Brandon Cooks was able to hold on to not one but two balls that were certainly in the end zone for touchdowns, it would have been a different result. The defense, which Goff was scared out of his wits. Let's just put it that way. And again, I'll get to the Rams in a second. But I'm going to start with the Patriots here. Do we need to throw any more bouquets at the feet of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? I understand people are going to wake up today. He's got six rings. He matches Michael Jordan. He's the greatest of all time, greatest quarterback, whatever. Listen, he's in the conversation, absolutely. I understand people my age and older, they're going to look at Joe Montana because he was undefeated in the game. We get that. But you know what, Brady, if you put him on that Mount Rushmore quarterbacks, I mean, he's up there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But you'd have to say that when you get to the game as many times as he does and you win more often than you, not, than you don't, then guess what? He has to be considered the greatest quarterback of all time. And crazy thing is that he did nothing in the game. You do that interception on the first drive. I understand it was tipped, but still a bit of a dangerous pass. His numbers were pedestrian, didn't really take control of the game. You didn't really get the sense that, oh, here comes Brady, here's the big run, or here's going to be the defining drive. I understand Gronkowski, that catch aside, but again, Brady's fingerprints on this game weren't like they were in past Super Bowls. And their running game, Sony Michelle obviously gave them a jolt, played well, he scored the game's only touchdown. We get Gronkowski who's been more of an all-around tight end. As you've seen throughout the years, he's been more of a pass-catching, receiving tight end. But here he is now on a big stage, making the biggest play in the game. Saved his best for last, because as we thought down the stretch of this regular season, that he was just shot. And listen, he's not the same player he was four or five years ago. Let's face it. But Gronkowski did show you that he had just enough gas in the tank to set his team up for the go-ahead touchdown and then obviously for another Super Bowl ring. But the Pats, it's all about their defense, and it's all about what Belichick did being the mastermind behind their success in this game. Giving up only three points, the lowest-scoring Super Bowl in the history of the game. Now, it matched the Dolphins. Remember, Dolphins and Cowboys, a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, there's never been a shutout, but they gave up three points. It's the lowest in NFL Super Bowl history. Well, that's not the case because the Cowboys beat Miami. Was that Super Bowl six, 24-3? So he matched that, of course. But they did something that the 85 Bears didn't do and even the 2,000 Rams. Now, the Rams, for all intents and purposes, they did pitch a shutout because their defense did not allow any points. Remember, the Giants, Ron Dixon had that kickoff return to score the only points of the Giants Super Bowl back in 35. But the defense, give him credit. Goff was pressured, confused, Deer in the headlights the whole game. Even on the sideline when he's sitting there, he put the camera on him. He just he, he probably thought he was in outer space somewhere. And Goff, we all know he's a former number one overall pick. He has made strides in his career. We all know his trajectory going back from his first year with Jeff Fisher. Everybody's calling him a bust, and then he's improved ever since. But, boy, yesterday was not his best performance. And better yet, it was probably his worst, especially in a big spot like that. But the Patriot defense, give him credit. Well, it's guys like Kyle Van Noy who made his presence felt. Obviously, I mentioned Stephen Gilmore. 
Patrick Chun, who had to leave the game there. I don't know what the diagnosis was. I don't know if it was a dislocated elbow, but obviously he had that air cast. So a big piece of that defense was gone, and they were still able to pick up the slack. And that's the Patriot way. The Patriots aren't going to pay top dollar to any of these players, but they have the depth. So when Chung goes out, Deron Harmon, who again, you know, nobody's going to be shaking in their boots from the offensive coordinator standpoint to say, oh, we got to watch out for Harmon. But the guy does make plays. The guy is there. Look at Jason McCourty. He comes here for the first time in a Super Bowl. Devin McCourty, his brother, we all know the twins, and they make plays. The defense, Trey Flowers, who had a quiet game, but we all know he's wrecked havoc in a lot of these games. But the Patriots, you can put me at linebacker. You can put me at wide out, in the slot, whatever. And I'll perform top-notch because it's all about the team. And that's why they've been so successful over the last 19 years. And I'm not breaking any news, but if you wonder why, oh, geez, this team is always there, what's going on, it's because they're smart, they're football players, and even more importantly, they're not paying a guy, and Tom Brady, who deserves $30 million a year, but they're paying him whatever the scale is for a veteran quarterback in this league because they're able to put all the other pieces around him. And that's why they're successful. When you're putting 25% of your cap into the quarterback, uh, where are you going to go with all the other skill positions? It's tough. But Belichick was masterful yesterday. Just a total, uh, as dominant as performance you'll ever see in a Super Bowl. And they're riding high with their sixth Super Bowl win. What could you say? And that's it. There's nothing more else to say. And, of course, i got to mention Julian Edelman, who I'm going to get to a little bit later on with some of the comments that even a couple weeks ago for Boomer Esiason, now i got to hear from Nate Burleson. Well, you know what? Let me get to that right now. And I'm not th- throwing cold water on Judel Edelman's, Julian Edelman's performance by any stretch or what he's done for his career. He's a seventh-round pick. We all know he's a guy that scratched and clawed all his, you know, his way all the way up to where he is today, and he's a slot receiver. We know that. He's Wes Welker 2.0 in this offense. But when you look at some of these comments. Now, two weeks ago, I mentioned how Boomer Sison came out after the AFC Championship game and said, oh, Julian Edelman, in my eyes, is a Hall of Famer. And I said, whoa, 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 so wait a second. How is this guy a Hall of Famer when he's never been first-team All-Pro? He's never been second-team All-Pro. He's never been the best wide receiver in the league, let alone in his conference, for that matter. And yes, I understand he's second all-time in receptions in the postseason behind Jerry Rice, but when you go to the playoffs every year and you play in a million of these games, I mean, what do you expect? Now, we know Brady's been there much longer than Edelman, but just to put it into perspective, Tom Brady has played in 40 playoff games and he's won 30 of them. And Edelman has been in quite a few of those playoff games. Because remember, Edelman goes back to 2009. So you've got a 10-year window where he's been in the postseason, he's lived in the postseason, and he's been pretty much their main target since 2009. Besides Gronkowski, and if you want to throw in there, you know, Aaron Hernandez for those couple of years, all right, fine, but think about it. They have not had a dominant wideout going back since Randy Moss. You know, don't tell me Brandon Cooks. You know, don't tell you know, I don't want to hear guys like that. And this is all you need to know about Julian Edelman in his regular season, because we all know the regular season's what sets you up for the for the Hall of Fame. And his numbers are four hundred and ninety-nine catches. For 5,390 yards and 30 touchdowns. Those are Hall of Fame numbers. And again, you can give me the postseason all you want. I get that. But you want to make a comparison? And I understand it's a different sport. People say, oh, come on, Jerry Rose, you know, whatever. And he never won an MVP in a postseason. But Robert Ory, he's got seven rings. And I don't want to hear because Edelman has the rings. Oh, well, that's why he should be in the Hall of Fame. Then Robert Ory should be in the Hall of Fame too. And I got news for you. If people want to compare careers, and granted, He's won more Super Bowls than him, but he also has a Super Bowl MVP. And I'm not saying this because I'm a Steeler fan, but I'm sure if I go to any sports fan, any football fan that knows better, and you're going to tell me who's, who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more, Heinz Ward or Julian Edelman? Uh, <laughs> please. I don't want to hear it. Heinz, 1,000 catches, over 12,000 yards, and 80-something touchdowns. Those numbers pale in comparison, or Edelman's numbers, are a blip on the radar screen next to Heinz Ward. And granted, Ward is one, one less Super Bowl, but he does have a Super Bowl MVP if that counts for anything. And you're going to tell me that Edelman, oh, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame? Stop. And I'm not trying to rain on his parade either, but come on. 
You mean to tell me that Julian Edelman belongs in the same sentence as Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Tim Brown? Uh, can I just go on? Fred Bolitnikoff? Should I just continue to go down the list? So everybody needs to pump the brakes with that. And that goes back to t- two weeks ago what I said about Boomer Sice and now Nate Burleson and he's chirping away and I was a guy I was talking with on Twitter and he even said it. Best. People are just prisoner of the moments when it comes to sports. They just look at a small window or they look at one game that the person was dominant and one's an MVP and it's like, oh, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is not just for the great. The Hall of Fame is for the all-time great. All-time. Not for guys who are second all-time in receptions as far as the postseason is concerned. Not as far as winning Super Bowl rings at the wide receiver position. No. Sorry. It's for the dominant all-time great. And you mean to tell me that Julian Edelman is a dominant all-time great? Not in my eyes. And those guys played him, played football. Boomer and Nate Burleson. And they could come out and say, oh, you don't know anything. You've never been in a locker room. You've never been on a football field. So, yeah, but you know what? I've watched this guy play throughout his whole career. And I'm not trying to say he's Swiss cheese or he's chopped liver. Julian Edelman, hey, listen, he, that guy's a warrior. He could play on my team. He's a battler. He's a scrapper. I mean, listen, there's no knocking the heart that this man has. But again, Hall of Fame is Hall of Fame. That's the creme de la creme. Not just the best of the best. It's the creme de la creme. Is Julian Edelman creme de la creme? I rest my case. All right, let's go to the Rams. Because, I mean, how many more things can I say about the Patriots? I mean, I could just you know go on forever. And by the way, the crowd, it felt like the game was at Foxborough. And despite the fact 75,000 people filled that stadium, there was only 70,100 in attendance. So what happened to the other you know, 4,900 people? In the building. Something to keep in mind. I was surprised the building wasn't sold out. But again, I guess you're not going to have a lot of people from L.A. making a trip over to Atlanta. Not a ton of Ram fans. And it did, like I said, it felt like Gillette Stadium there with all the Patriot fans in the building. So anyway, with the Rams, though, as I said last week during the Super Bowl preview, I said two things are going to be the factors of this game. One, it's going to come down to the trenches. And as you saw, Brady did get sacked. They got pressured at times, but they were able to put Aaron Donald and Damakong check where the Ram line, uh, the right guard was a turnstile. And as you saw, they got a ton of pressure on Goff throughout the course of the game. So that was number one. And number two, was Sean McVay going to be the guy who was going to coach the way he did it against New Orleans? Or is he going to be a guy that's going to be scared, caught up in the moment, and perform the way he did yesterday? And everybody's looking at this, you know, the Wonder Boy. Oh, this is the next generation of coaches in the NFL. He already has a coaching tree. He's only 33 years old. Well, guess what? The teacher schooled the student. And give McVay credit. He admitted after the game that, listen, I was outcoached. And I mean, ladies, the whole world's seen it. First off, what's going on with Todd Gurley? Now, Gurley, give him credit. He was a good sport in the postgame. He said, listen, if we're a team, it's 11 guys. You know, if I'm, my number's called, I'm going in there. I'll do the best I can. But if not, that's, you know, we got CJ. He's more than capable, et cetera. So kudos to Todd Gurley for that. But here's a guy that you rode all year long. And if he was nursing an injury, okay, fine. And I'm sure probably in the coming days we're going to see if that's the case. But Gurley in the postgame, he said that he was fine. He said he could have gone back in there. He didn't. Say that, oh, I was injured, or yeah, my knee was tightened up. Or, no, he didn't say any of that. So, again, kudos to Gurley for being upfront, straightforward, honest, and just being diplomatic in the postgame. But McVay, what are you doing? This guy carried your mail the whole year. And then the Saint game, all right, he had that interception. He wasn't running. You threw him in the doghouse for a couple quarters. All right, fine. But this is it. This is the Super Bowl. This guy was borderline MVP of your season after 14 weeks. And then you gave him an early vacation? And he had a couple nice runs in the game. I know one was called back from a holding penalty. But listen, if you're going to go down fighting, how come number 30 isn't in your backfield? That's number one. Number two, at 3 nothing on a third and two, Goff, who did nothing in the game, made a couple of throws, but this, let's call it as we see it. He did nothing in the game. On a third and two, 
He goes back to pass. He gets sacked for 16 yards where Zerline has to kick a 53-yarder. Now Zerline, he's been clutching this postseason. But where's a jet sweep there? I understand you're not going to give it to C.J. Anderson. Anderson actually got a couple first downs running, you know, up the gut. But where's all this offensive genius? To me, the jet sweep would have been perfect there. Third and two, I don't know. I'm sure Belichick probably would have snuffed that out and would have said, hey, hey, we see Robert Woods or Brandon Cooks going in motion. Let's get a linebacker to, you know, be over the uh, safety over the top or whatever it may be. Nothing. Goes back to pass, he loses 16 yards, and Zerline had to bail him out with a field goal. That's number one. Number two, after the shot in the end zone where Brandon Cooks dropped the ball, and it was a good defensive play because afterwards the ball was swatted away, but it was in Cooks' hands. And it was a tight one that we had to throw it in, but Cooks should have reeled that in. It should have been a touchdown, and it was dropped. And then what do they do? On a blitz, they go back to the same play, Goff off the back foot, and the minute the ball was in the air, I knew it was going to be picked. And Gilmore was just there with a lollipop. And for all intents and purposes, that was the game. So was that a play call or was that just a panic move by Goff? We don't know. But still, why are they going? The play after, they went to the well again. To me, that's on the coach. We understand the quarterback makes the throw. It's on Goff, and I'm going to get to Goff in a second, but that was just awful. And then Cooks, who had a terrible game as well. He had dropped that ball. And then he had the other one that was thrown in the end zone. But let's face it, Goff had so much air under that ball, I think it just landed. That ball was a lame duck flying in the air like that. You know, it was wobbly. It looked like it was a punt before the ball got to Cooks and then it was swatted away there. I believe it was Devin McCourty or maybe even Jason McCourty for that matter who swatted away to the chagrin of Aaron Donald. You saw him on the sideline just sulk because that was a touchdown. But to me, that was more on Goff than it was Cooks, but still Cooks should have been able to corral that and he was wide open. So that was just a terrible throw. But McVeigh, listen, for all this creativity, for all, you know, let's take chances, let's do this, let's do that. He came up very small in big spots in this game. And I just gave you two of them. And as far as golf is concerned, I mean, if there was ever a definition of deer in the headlights, there it is, Jared Goff. He looked like he wanted no part of that game. And I'm not trying to say he quit. I'm not trying to say that he didn't want to be there. I'm sure nerves, excitement, anxiety, all that. I think he even mentioned that in the post game. But boy, he was shook. He was. And as he said in the post game, they were guessing half the time. He didn't know what was coming. And when you hear that coming from a quarterback, whether he's a rookie or a tenure veteran that we were guessing half the time, guess what? That's a product of the coach on the other sideline. And there's your Super Bowl. Well, I mean, what more else could I say? That was it. And the funny thing is, is that in Kansas City and especially in New Orleans, what were they thinking when they're watching this game? I'm sure the people in New Orleans like, oh my God, we would have ran up and down the field. Now, I don't know about that because now the Patriots would have prepared differently, I'm sure. But at the same time, the Saint fan is still going to look at that and say, oh, listen, we certainly would have done a lot better. Breeze certainly wouldn't have folded in a big moment. And their offensive players would have said, but we're never going to know that. That's the thing. So the same fan could talk all they want today and say, oh, we would have shown up. Oh, we would have destroyed him. Oh, the game never happened, so he can't say it. As far as Kansas City's concerned, the guy who's going to be kicking himself if he's not doing it already is D Ford. I said that two weeks ago. I say it today because, let's face it, both the Chiefs and Saints should have been the Super Bowl. But that's not how the cookie crumbled. We all know what the end result is. And now here we are in an offseason where we got to wait Six more months till preseason, but we got a lot to be entertained between now and then. Combines in a couple weeks, followed by free agency, which will start, I think, March 13th, if I'm not mistaken. And then we got the draft in April, which I believe is in Nashville this year. I think it's in Nashville, whatever it is, bouncing around all over the place. And that's it. And one last thing on McVay, too, which I was also very surprised he didn't go. On one series, I think it was right before the field goal, they went no huddle. For just a split second. And that was it. To me, he should have gone no huddle to start the second half. I mean, he should have done it before then, but I understand you want to make the halftime adjustment. Hey, he had to get his quarterback in rhythm. Either to calm him down or to say, hey, listen, we're thinking about going no huddle. We want you to just get a few throws under your belt and 
let's see if we can let it rip and go down the field and score some points. He didn't do that. And with the Pats, as we all know, or with any team for that matter, but the Pats are slow on defense. They're not a fast defense. And you have players that are quick on the Rams side of the ball. No huddle certainly would have been, you know, they would have been able to get some chunks at times. Because if you've seen the Patriot defense, just look at the game before. I understand it was in Kansas City, there were conditions, it was a road game, but they were able to get their chunks and score points late in the fourth quarter or throughout the whole fourth quarter. Where was that yesterday? So that's another thing that's on McVay for him not adjusting, especially with a young quarterback. So there you go. Uh, as far as the commercials, and I mean, listen. Oh, let me, let me get to the halftime first. I get it that people, Maroon 5, we all know they're a top group. And big boy from Atlanta. I don't even know Travis Scott's from Atlanta. And to me, Travis Scott is, I know I'm going to sound like an old man here. But I consider myself a hip-hop head. I'm talking hip-hop. I'm not talking about rap or trap music or any of the other nonsense. But Travis Scott is, to me, he's a pimple on hip-hop's rear end, if you ask me. But obviously, they had the seven-second delay. You hear the bleeping out the cursing and all that, which I'm sure that made the uh, champagne go down for the Roger Goodell's of the world uh, smooth during halftime. And then you had Big Boy, who came out with this big fur, which I'm sure PETA, and rightfully so, they probably started shooting emails to the NFL and to Big Boy for that matter because he's in Atlanta at 60 degrees and he goes on stage with a, for a coat. But I like their performance. That's a great song, The Way You Move. Awesome. Travis Scott, I know you got that sickle mode song, but to me it's irrelevant because the song might as well sound like all the other songs that are out there today. But then on top of that, the closing moves like Jagger, rips the shirt off, tatted up, and well, all right, we get that, you know, no problem, but what's the point of that? Are you trying to make a statement? And I'm sure the NFL isn't happy. But then again, you got to blame the NFL because they're the ones that said, hey, we'll bring in Maroon 5. Because I'm sure they're trying to get the younger audience involved or trying to cross over. And there's a ton of female fans there to begin with. But, I mean, what was the point? Maroon 5. I mean, they have a few good songs and a lot of their older stuff is good. But it, come on. Adam Levine, the guy's on The Voice. And I, I may piss off a lot of the Maroon 5 fans and forgive me. But, I mean, the guy, that performance was lackluster. I'm sorry. Nothing special about that. Just like the game, forgetful. You know, it's forgettable. And then the commercials. The best commercials was that WeatherTech commercial with the with the dog, which I loved, and the Pepsi commercial with Little John and Cardi B and Steve Carell. Other than that, the commercials were a disaster. But that, that's how it's been like the last five, seven years. None of these commercials are memorable. I just found out that there's corn syrup and beer with the Bud Light commercials. Now, I'm not much of a beer drinker, but geez, now there's corn syrup and the beer, guys? <laughs> I mean, what's next? Yeah, just uh, I'm just glad it's over. I understand football is the top sport in this country, and rightfully so, because it's one day a week. Everybody's involved in the fantasy football. I'm not, as you know, but the game is just—it's just a spectacle. It's just an event, and it certainly fell way, 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 way below what everybody expected it to be. And I'm just glad it's over. I understand we're now hitting that period between now and the NCAA tournament, men's basketball, where it's going to be slow. You got the NBA All-Star game in two weeks. If you're going to jump up and down for that, you know I'm not. You have the hockey, which is going to be now a lot of the focus on in the basketball and the college. And then, of course, pitchers and catchers and Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, which I'll get to in a little bit. But I'm just glad it's over. Football's done. I have to deal with. Steeler nonsense with their drama off the field. You have to worry about concussions. You don't have to worry about any of this garbage. I mean, the next thing you're going to have to wait for is what are they going to do with the end of the Rams-Saint-NFC Championship game as far as moving forward with what they're going to do with non-calls. That's going to be the focus. I'm sure the owner meetings, whatever those are, probably before the official NFL season begins in March. But that's what you got, people. So let's close the book on that. Let's move on to other things. And... The thing I want to move on to as far as the NBA is concerned. Now, last week when we were on, we were talking a little bit about Anthony Davis, how he wanted this trade request based on his representation, Rich Paul from Clutch Sports. He actually got fined for putting it out there. And it's just sad to see how basketball, and I get it's it's only 12 players, and if you have the dominant player or the franchise player, they pretty much 
have all the chips and all the cards that they're able to play. That if you don't lock up these guys or certainly build a team around them for them to end their careers in the city that they're drafted in, it's an impossible spot. Because Anthony Davis, who I do not believe will be traded by Thursday, which is the trade deadline, February 7th, and they, I was going to say the Hornets, the Pelicans, they've come out and stated that, oh, we're in no rush to trade Anthony Davis. And rightfully so. But you know for damn sure, once the season is over, NBA draft, everything's on the table when it comes to Anthony Davis. But you had that to start off the week. Then a few days later, you had Chris Stapps Porzingis, who had a five-minute meeting with the Nick hierarchy, Scott Perry and Steve Mills, and he says, I don't like the direction of this team. First of all, who is Chris Stapps Porzingis to go into their facility and to speak to the, you know, to speak to management to say, I don't like the direction this team is going. Uh, first off, do I see any, he had one all-star appearance. Do I see any playoff appearances on your resume? No. Do I see a first-team All-NBA appearance on your resume? No. Do I see any rings? Absolutely not. This guy's a third-year player who has missed the la- all of the last, well, uh, half of last season and all of this season, and he's going in there making demands? Now, I get that his brother, who's his agent, is part of this nonsense because if you recall a couple of years ago when he, during the exit interviews when he was on his way out, he didn't even look at Phil Jackson, let alone meet up with him when Phil Jackson was part of the mix as far as management is concerned. So here it is, him walking into the office, and that's it. And you know what? The Knicks did the right thing. Not just based on the trade, but think about this. Who knows if Kristaps would have come back this year, but let's just say for argument's sake he came back after the All-Star break. And he gave you 25 games. And he played 25 killer games. We know he's a restricted free agent going into this offseason. So you'd have to look at it and say, oh, geez, he gave us 25 killer games. He's restricted. So that means any team could sign him to a ridiculous contract. And then they're going to be under the microscope to see if the Knicks are going to follow up and sign Chris Stapps to that long-term max deal, whatever that's going to be. No. Instead, that five-minute meeting... Certainly, they were on the phones, and they even said, Perry and Mills, that they've been on the phone with people over the last few weeks. Even the Pelicans, they reached out to them, and they declined. But kudos to them. And we know who they got in the trade. Dennis Smith Jr., who a lot of people thought that the Knicks should have drafted over Nilakina. He comes back. Uh, some dead weight comes back as far as contracts with Wesley Matthews and DeAndre Jordan. But they also get the number one unprotected of 2021 and also 2023. It depends on how that's going to shake down, especially with the Dallas and Atlanta trade last year when they swapped Doncic and Trey Young but that's for down the road but the Knicks will end up unloading Courtney Lee Tim Hardaway Jr. Trey Burke so they freed all this money down like what 74 million under the cap they're going to be primed and ready to pounce on the Kevin Durant's the Kyrie Irvings of the world etc 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 now are they going to sign here we all know what remains to be seen that's for a conversation down the road I'm not going to speculate here on February the 4th, or, oh, Kyrie's definitely coming here. Oh, that's it, KD. Although I have a feeling that KD's going to come here, but still, there's is just plenty of time between now and then to get into it. So to me, the Knicks made a shrewd move, a wise move, and I think a great move overall. Considering what they got back, considering now I don't have to deal with the headache of having to re-sign Porzingis, and I get that Knicks fans are going to be a little butthurt because we thought that Porzingis was going to be that guy that's going to be part of this franchise for at least eight to ten years. And now that he's gone, but you've opened up all this cap room space, let's see. But again, Nick fans, you got to beware. Remember 2010. Everybody thought the Knicks were backing up the truck for LeBron, and we all know what happened. So if I'm a Nick fan, that's why you got to be cautiously optimistic. There is no guarantee that any of these players are coming to play at the Garden, just because it's the Mecca, just because it's everything that it is, but it's certainly not what it once was. So, but I just don't like, and then the last part of this is Kyrie Irving. Now, I get that in October, in front of season ticket holders, pressed to answer the, hey, are you going to sign with us long term, blah, blah, blah. And he came out and said, hey, if you guys want me, I'll sign. And of course, the crowd erupted. Everybody's feeling themselves. It's all good. It's a love fest. And then just the other day, when the Knicks were hosting the Celtics during shoot around and Kyrie was asked about his, you know, the possibility of, you know, signing long-term. He said, ask me July 1st. I wonder if Danny Ainge right now is on the horn calling teams to trade Kyrie Irving. 
because I got news for you. We understand, and let me also add this into the mix. Anthony Davis' father came out and commented about how, oh, my son is not going to go play for the Celtics because look what they did to Isaiah Thomas when they traded him. And as it was last week, and I didn't report this, but there's no way that the Celtics could trade for Anthony Davis, at least not right now. They'd have to wait till July 1st because you have a guy who's going to be a max contract player and Kyrie Irving, and you have a guy a year later in Anthony Davis, and you can't have both of those guys on the team at the same time. So they'd have to wait until July 1st in order to consummate a deal. So there goes that. It certainly puts the Lakers at the forefront, the Lakers as far as the favorites, but that's between now and February 7th, where the Lakers, who knows what's going to happen, and they're going through their own stuff with Luke Walton and everything that's going on down there, despite the fact that LeBron is back in the mix. So back to Kyrie. You know, Kyrie just sort of, Stay quiet, and he should have learned a little bit after the fiasco a couple weeks back where he, for all intents and purposes, he put his team under the bus and also came out with the calling LeBron thing about, oh, you know, trying to deal with these young guys. Now I know what you were referring to, and LeBron was trying to get in his ear and trying to have him calm down. You don't have to make all the plays. You don't have to take all the shots, et cetera, et cetera. And now here it is coming full circle with Kyrie. For him to come out and say that, you know, ask me July 1st, and he's right. He's not wrong. I get that. And we understand that they're not robots, although it seems like a lot of the athletes are because they're very calculating what they say, and rightfully so. They don't want anything misconstrued or blown out of proportion. I get that. But Kyrie, for him to say, ask me July 1st, and he says, and I'm paraphrasing, that I don't give a crap what anybody thinks or feels. I'm here to win a title for the champion, you know, here to win a championship this year with the Boston Celtics with this team for this year, and that's it. And he kept it at that. But as far as moving forward, ask you July 1st. Not even like, hey guys, you know, I just want to talk basketball. I just want to talk about this year. If you would have said that, okay, fine. When you hear ask me July 1st, of course you're gonna look at it like, uh, oh, let's read between the lines here. Does that mean he doesn't want to be a part of this team? Especially in light of what he said just you know, ten days or two weeks ago. And that's why if you're Ainge, listen, this team was one game away from the finals last year without Kyrie Irving in the lineup. And I'm not trying to just throw Kyrie out into the street. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to say I need to get a King's Ransom to come back because although he is an expiring contract and although that they could get a lot for him, but what team is the best fit for him right now because you know they're not going to bury him somewhere. You know, he's not going to Sacramento. You know, he's not going to go to a team that's out of contention. And when you think about it, you know, it's not as if he's going to go to a team that's, you know, he's going to go to the Pistons, who could certainly use a, you know, a bonafide point guard. No. You know, he's not going to go to teams like that where he's going to end up being a 5, 6, 7, 8 seed in the East. Or is uh, Milwaukee going to trade? No. That's what I'm talking about. So I don't think that the trade, as much as I'm sure Ainge and a Celtic fan like myself would say, you know what, hey, for the right deal, I want him out of here. But again, it has to be the right deal. And I just don't like that the players, especially in this league, because in baseball, here's the example. When Jacob DeGrom was going through his Cy Young year and Brody Van Wagenen, the irony of it all, came out and said that, well, hey, we want to demand a trade if we're not going to get a contract extension between now and the end of the year. It's like, oh, time out. He still has two years left on his deal. There's no way he's going to try to take control of the situation to say, you know what, I want what I want, and if I don't get it, I want out. See, baseball players, maybe unless you're Mike Trout, maybe if you're someone of that ilk, but you don't see that in baseball. You don't see that in football. Hockey, does anybody, other than Eric Lindros being drafted by Quebec, oh, trade me, I want out. That's the rare occasion. But the NBA, you see this all the time. Even think back, Steve Francis, he got drafted by the Vancouver Grizzlies, I want out, trade me. But the NBA, you're seeing this all the time now. And if you're a small market team that has that player, and I understand Russell Westbrook was the exception. He stood there and, you know, but Russell Westbrook, I think, is a different type of guy. You know, he looks at this like, hey, this is my team, and that's great. And obviously they got Paul George and they got a decent supporting cast. But my point is, is that in the NBA, we could go through the whole list of these people that are just dictating trades. Even going back to Carmelo, I want out of Denver, get me to New York. Yeah, it's just... I just think it's bad for the league. I don't know what they could do to stop it. And whenever the next collective bargaining agreement is, who knows? Now, of course, there were penalties where 
Rich Paul, as I said before, $50,000. Later, being fined. And then, of course, when Anthony Davis's father comes out and says, well, they can't find him. So you kind of wonder if that was even calculated to say, hey, dad, you know, if you come out and say something about it, you know, a little subliminal message to everybody out there that I don't want to be a part of Boston because obviously Anthony Davis can't say it, neither can Rich Paul or anybody from Clutch Sports. So, and if that's his way to mastermind his way to get to LA, then, you know, so be it. But when you look at just the landscape, and if, let's say Luka Doncic now, again, Mark Cuban is his owner, so you think he's going to lock him up. But you got to wonder, some of these guys that you draft, like Zion, he comes here, what's, what's going to happen? Two years from now, oh, this team's terrible. You know, trade me to the Lakers. Or you know what, I, I don't feel like I'm a good fit here. Trey, I want to play with uh, DeAndre Ayton and Phoenix. Now, of course, I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. So these players are just going to, uh, you know, I, I really don't want to be here. I don't like it. Uh, you know, can I go? I want to go to this team. I want to play for a championship. Oh, come on, man. It's just, to me, honestly, it's sickening. And the NBA is as strong as it's been in forever. We know the talent that's out there. We know who the teams are, the villains, et cetera. But you get my drift, people. You know where I'm going with this. And I, I just don't know what the answer is going to be as far as these players who, I don't want to say coming out of the woodwork, but they, for whatever the reason, and Chris Stapps to me is the best example because here's a guy that, as we all know, Call him the unicorn for a reason. We know how talented he is. Obviously, he suffered that bad injury. We get all that. But at the same time, for him to just walk in there, oh, I don't like the direction of this team. And when you look at that roster, I mean, Chris Tapps, what do you expect? And then you know you're going to have a guy coming in at least with one max contract in this offseason on top of getting probably a top three pick. And don't you think that that's better than a team that has aging superstars where you're capped out year after year after year, and you know that the team's going in, you know they're going into NBA purgatory. But of course, he doesn't look at it that way. He just wanted to get out, and I guess he wanted to play with Luca, and he got his wish. And from what Mark Cuban says, he's not going to play the rest of this year. He wants to heal up, be 100, percent get ready for next year. So, but that's your NBA, and now a lot of the attention is going to be on them for over the next few days to see who's going to get traded, to see what all the rumors and all the buzz is going to be about. So. We'll certainly uh, keep our eyes on that. One thing I failed to mention before, and talking about the NFL, and I'll be brief. The Hall of Fame finalists, Kevin Mawai, who will now be inducted and enshrined in, in uh, Canton. Kevin Mawai Center, as I said the other day, six-time, first-team All-Pro, definitely deserved it. Uh, I could see a lot of people going to look at it. It's like, ah, it's not a sexy position. Ah, was he really dominant? But you know what? He's deserving of it. Champ Bailey, to me, was he dominant? Obviously, he was very good, but uh, to me, he's for first time ballot. I'm shocked. Ty Law made it. Ty Law to me was in the same class as Champ Bailey. I understand he made a rule after Ty Law, especially after that AFC Championship game against the uh, the Colts. They had the three interceptions off of Peyton Manning. I get all that, but to me, he was on the cusp. Then you have Ed Reed, Tony Gonzalez, where they're just slam dunks and. I mean, what could you say? There's nothing else to be said about those two guys. So there's your uh, NFL Hall of Fame inductees for this coming year. And for people last week, Tom Flores, I understand that the Raider fans are going to say, wait, but he's deserving. He's won two Super Bowls. He was a guy that you know took uh, Jim Plunkett to a guy who was a first-round overall pick in New England and certainly had a bad career until he got to Oakland, and he took them over the top. Well, and then being the first wildcard team to win a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl era. But when you look at his numbers – now, remember, he lost to a Jet team in the divisional round, although it was a strike year, but they were 8-1, and one, and they lost in the divisional round. I understand people are going to say about who cares about that, it's about Super Bowls, but, you know, it's something on the resume. You want to look at Andy Reid and all those big games that he lost, including the one just two weeks ago? But anyway, when you look at his overall record, he was 97-83, and 83-53 and 53 is a L.A. Oakland Raider. But that Seattle just killed him. 14-34? and 34? Those are, come on. How's he in the Hall of Fame? I mean, if he would have made the postseason in those three seasons and maybe made it to a championship game, I said, all right, I'll give you that. But I did nothing in Seattle. And for the people who want to, and not that anybody's lobbying for George Seifert to be in the Hall of Fame, because remember, he inherited Bill Walsh's teams. So he won that Super Bowl. He was going for the three-peat. And he lost to the Giants in that NFC Championship game. And then later on, of course, that was what we like to call the tainted ring in 94 when they had nothing but mercenaries on that team, and we could go through the whole list to my boy Lou, who's a huge Niner fan, 
and always you know puffing out his chest. That 94 team, let's face it. Can we go through the list of people? Gary Plummer, Ricky Jackson, of course, Dion, Tim McDonald. I mean, let's go through the list of people that they put on that team just to get Ken Norton Jr. Ugh, the list goes on and on and on and on. So he's not deserving. George Seifert. And even Tom Coughlin. He's a guy that won two Super Bowls. He was 102-90 as a giant coach. And granted, I understand that he's probably more of a Hall of Famer than Flores only because of not only just beating the Patriots, but stopping the undefeated Patriots along the way. And not only that, but he's also the first coach in NFL history to win a Super Bowl with nine wins. So I could see, and it's close. Coughlin means not a slam dunk Hall of Famer either. But the point I bring up these coaches is that Flores pales in comparison to Seifert, despite the fact he inherited Bill Walsh, and he pales in comparison to Tom Coughlin, who, although was over 500, but you know didn't have a great postseason resume. If you take those two Super Bowls out, which you can't, but my again, my point is, is that he was just a few games over 500, and he's not a slam dunk first time ballot to make it as a Hall of Famer as a coach. That's my point. All right, and as far as baseball is concerned, to wrap up, the scenario with Harper Machado. Now, Harper had a tweet after the Super Bowl yesterday where he just typed in loading with three dots or four dots, whatever it was. Now, does that mean that because football season's over, is he loading, getting ready for the baseball season? Has he been working out, which I'm sure he has. Or does that also mean that loading, meanwhile, up, now that football's exited stage right, it's time for baseball to step in, and not only that, but it's time for me to step in to tell you where I'm going. Now, last week he met up with the Padres for a significant amount of time in Vegas. I know the Padres have been in, even on Machado, had talks with them. They want to make a splash. We all know about their farm system. The thing is, is that I wonder if both either Harper and Machado, which I believe they're friendly, have they been in contact with one another to kind of say, all right, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Because you know once that the first domino drops, the second one has to drop soon thereafter. Because you would think that, let's just say for argument's sake, if Machado was offered that seven-year 175 by the White Sox and they kind of laughed at it, I'm sure they got back to either Harper's representatives or even Harper himself to say, what are you guys looking for? What are you shooting for? What's the ballpark figure? And if they're saying, hey, I want 300, then Machado's people are saying, well, we're going to wait for 300 as well. And if... And vice versa. And if it's a thing where Harper... Now, we don't know what this tweet means. This could mean anything. But if this does mean in the coming days he may be signing somewhere with significant money, you would think that Machado is going to fall just a day or two after that. And would there be collusion involved if that's the case? Well, it would certainly look that way because here are the players saying, hey, what are you going to get? Well, I'm not going to announce it until this day and time. Now, of course, I don't have any evidence. I don't have any proof of that. So I'm not trying to stir up a rumor or any type of controversy. But you got to wonder in the back of your head, here we are 10 days away from Valentine's Day and there has been little buzz or next to no buzz as to where these players are going. And with spring training right around the corner, uh, what are they going to do? They're going to walk in on March 10th? to sign a deal somewhere so Harper listen I don't know who's going to sign first these guys have to sign soon at some point but you wonder just with that tweet alone does that mean it's the beginning of something that's going to happen here on the horizon with Harper in particular Machado we don't know anything about he hasn't come out and said anything or his representatives or anything or anyone for that matter but as far as Harper's concerned if this does happen to come out here in the coming days, you would just think that Machado will be soon thereafter. But until then, we're trying to keep our pulse on top of it, and we hope to get the uh, final conclusion on where both of their destinations will be, hopefully in the days and not the weeks to come. All right, people, that is it for me this week. little programming note. I actually have another pod that I'm going to put up on Wednesday. I'll probably do it Wednesday, maybe Thursday, but check my social media sites, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels 1, just a number on Twitter, and the J Reels podcast, my Facebook page. You could also send me an email if you don't want to send me a DM, any questions, comments, criticism, praise. You know I'm open for it. Please send it all. The J Reels podcast at gmail.com. My guest this coming Thursday or Wednesday, Thursday will be none other. And I finally was able to tackle him from afar as he's down in, near San Antonio, Texas, my former radio partner, JD. Uh, and we touched on a bunch of different things. We didn't talk about the Super Bowl because I was posting this after the Super Bowl. So why am I going to discuss New England and 
the LA Rams and post this up on a Wednesday when the game is already over and predictions. So it didn't make any sense. But we touched a lot of the NBA stuff that I talked about, uh, as well as some uh, football and baseball. More or less his team, the Cowboys. He's a huge Cowboy fan. So the Cowboy fans will certainly be uh, delightful to hear some of what he has to say. He's been a lifelong Cowboy fan. But definitely you want to listen to that because it's just a great back-and-forth conversation between him and I. Just brought back old memories and good times, and he'll definitely be back on the podcast again in the future, probably around the baseball season. So, people, as I say each and every week, I implore you to spread the word to whomever it may be, whether it's uh, by hook or by crook, email, text, smokescreen about my program. I greatly appreciate it. You could do that by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotter. Oh, Spotter. You hear me? Spotify, Spreaker. They, I'm uh, mashing both uh, Spotify and Spreaker together. Spotter. Uh, a little comedy there. Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, please. Or wherever you listen to your podcast, not only do you, uh, I would ask you to subscribe, but also please leave a comment, post a rating. Because what that's going to do, and I can't stress it enough, it's going to generate some interest in the sports podcast universe. And not only that, it will just increase the visibility of the program. So your participation is vital in reference to that. And it's very simple, people. All you got to do on your tablet, on your phone, go to podcasts. Or you could even Siri. I even tested this. For those who have an iPhone, it it doesn't get any simpler than this in the land and the world of technology. All you got to do is, hey, Siri, play me the J-Reels podcast. It'll come up, my most recent episode. All you got to do is then just open your phone, hit subscribe. Leave a rating, post a review, that's it. And I'm sure you can do the same, Alexa, or whatever it may be. Because I'm on Google Play, I'm on Google Podcasts, so I believe Alexa's tied in with Google. You can do the same thing there. You do that, rating, review, all that, people. Again, I have my hands crossed as I'm thankful, grateful, and very humble for your appreciation, your love, and support of this program. Because I'll continue to do so in the weeks and months to come for as long as I can, as long as God has me on this beautiful earth that we have. And, uh, of course, bringing all of the latest and greatest of what goes on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the hardwood, gridiron, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rose podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until midweek here on the j Rose podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>